Today, every day, small cap investors visit Agoracom knowing this is the day to discover the world's next great company to have their dreams come true. That's why I take to the open road to find them, to tell their stories, to engage them, to bring them to life because they want to connect with you from your office, your phone, your home, anywhere. Agoracom, find your dream. Welcome to Beyond the Press Release, a production of Gorecom, in which we take the time to speak with small cap executives after they put out important news with us today. Happy to have him back, Steve McCauley, CEO of Empower Clinics, trades on the CSC under the stock symbol, CBDT, fantastic stock symbol, in Europe on Frankfurt under 8EC, and for our friends in the U.S., EPWCF. For those of you who might be new to the story, and that should be some of you, uh, basically speaking, Empower is a vertically integrated CBD Life Sciences Company, multi-state operator of medical health and wellness clinics. More than just lip service, 165,000 patients in its database. Uh, patient visit growth is off the charts. Q4 last year, visits were up 351% to 4,600. Uh, April 2020 visits were up 800%, and May was another record as well. So the company definitely has great things going on. And we're here to talk about that. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, George. Thank you, as always. Enjoy, uh, enjoy these sessions with you. Hey, we call this Beyond the Press Release. What we usually do is focus on a press release, naturally, right? Once in a while, we may even say, you also had this. But since last we spoke, which wasn't very long ago, it was mid-May, you've got news out about your May traffic, which is milestone traffic, uh, phase three of COVID testing rolling out expansion to your Oregon clinic, Vancouver, it goes on and on, right? How good are things going? How well are things going for Empower? You know, you know, we're, we're actually doing uh, great uh, on the ground. And I, you know, I'm almost a little bit uh, uh, uncomfortable in, in even saying that because, you know, the, the environment that we find ourselves in just, you know, as society, we, so, we see so many situations where right. there's hardship. And, and we've found ourselves um, thriving in this environment. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit unusual, but we're very thankful. And, you know, I, I mean, a, a small, hey, a small anecdote on that for, for, for all your viewers is I was talking to our team this weekend uh, down in, in uh, Phoenix. And, you know, they, they told me that in, in the last seven years of their operations, they've never had as many new hires come on board at the exact same time. Um, they're onboarding wow. uh, eight, eight new staff members as we speak. And, you know, as we've come through this coronavirus situation over the last uh, three and a half, now almost four months, um, we didn't have to lay off anybody. And in fact, we found that our services were in greater demand than we even thought um, for a variety of reasons. And this has led to these record numbers. The new services are, are going really nicely. And we're just hiring staff to support the volume. Yeah, and I love that anecdotal evidence because a lot of CEOs might say, sure, George, things are going well. You know, what does that really mean, right? And I know we're going to talk some specifics, but hearing anecdotal evidence, like record number of onboarding of new employees, that, that pretty much says it all about, and, and I like the fact that you also said you're not gloating in it because you know it's because 
there are some tough things going on. But nonetheless, hey, we're shareholders and need to know. And that, that's a great result from a business point of view. Yeah, it, it really is. So we're very, we're very thankful. You know, we had to, you know, overhaul how we operated um, to deal with uh, safety of our staff is paramount. Um, safety of our patients is paramount. Yet they still need the services from us. So from, you know, um, new hygiene protocols to uh, protective equipment that we've had to purchase and utilize. We've had to um, completely change how we interact with patients, how we communicate with them, limiting the number of people that are in our clinics at any given point in time. And, you know, it, it's continuing as we see in the U.S. to, to be, a, you know, a, a serious issue. And, right. um, you know, Arizona is definitely the big hub for us now. And so we're paying very, very close attention to our protocols and making sure that, you know, we're keeping our staff safe at all times. Well, and, you know, and I'm, that's how, that's going to be a great dovetail to my first question, but just want to add on to that, that in, from that point of view, you're very similar to a lot of retail operations who have to go through these protocols. But the difference with you is uh, you've got more customers come to the door than you, I don't want to say that you can almost handle, but you're not having a problem. I mean, with, with people not showing up, they're, they're coming. So let's talk about May. May visits were another record yet. This is important. You said 2,302, let's call it 2,300 physician patient consultations. This isn't just people who walked through the door, looked around, might have picked up a, a bottle of something. This is 2,300 uh, physician patient consultations. What should that be telling everybody at home about how the clinics are doing? Uh, well, really, it just represents uh, record traffic. Uh, again, um, what we're seeing from our patient base is they do not want to be without um, their plant-based treatment options. You know, this is, this is their medicine. Uh, and in many cases, we might be their only frontline access to a physician uh, based on whether or not the uh, patient has actual healthcare coverage in the U.S. or not. And uh, what we found from the patients is that they're calling us and saying, um, you're not closing, right? You know, this, uh, your, your doors, you're, you're going to be available for me, aren't you? And, uh, you know, the reassurance is that, yes, we are. And uh, we have, we've had to extend our hours of operation. We've had to extend wow. to additional um, availability um, on the weekends um, where, um, maybe we would only do a, you know, a nine until noon in prior circumstances. They're extending those hours uh, to accommodate uh, the appointments. Uh, we simply are fully booked um, kind of at all times. And, and we aren't seeing even, you know, in, in sort of any sort of medical services, you, you, you can sometimes have sort of missed appointments or I need to reschedule. Um, we're not even seeing that normal uh, kind of cycle. This is, is one you keep. You don't miss people, that. You don't miss people, this one. That's right. People are not missing. And we're great at communicating to them. You know, we use our text message platform. We use our email platform or call center. Uh, but we're, we're just seeing people don't need the reminders as often. Um, and uh, people are just not, you know, canceling their appointments. Um, so based on that, let's go into some specifics. Your COVID-19 testing uh, was something you announced a, a few, obviously not long ago, two, three months ago. Yeah. Um, you had a four-phase rollout. Phase one, 
in clinics, drawing blood, 48 hours. Phase two, in clinic, driving up. Pierce, in, in our last interview, actually, she actually yeah, demonstrated piercing the you know, fingertip there, uh, 15, one to 15 minute um, uh, results. Now you're going into phase three. Is that, does, does moving through these phases, because you didn't have assurances when you rolled it out, you said this is how we plan to do it. Yeah. Does rolling into phase three tell us that uh, you're having a lot of success on the testing side? Um, it does actually. And one of the things, you know, operationally, we're always, I'm always conservative and want to uh, do these new launches as pilots. It is um, the appropriate method to make sure that operationally, you know, you don't fail, that you can handle the new uh, processes, that you have capacity to deliver a high quality service to your, in our case, patient or, or slash customers. So everything done in phases and done as a pilot. And, and what we've found is that, you know, we work the bugs out operationally um, through phase one and phase two. And that's allowed us to add additional hours of these, to make these services available. Because you have to keep in mind, our normal standard services are keeping us completely busy. And so when we yeah. add on this next layer of services, um, and it's, it's really a necessity, I mean, it's a very high quality in demand service. We just happen to have all of the tools in our toolkit to be able to do it. So to the extent that I could get the supply chain figured out, we knew that we had um, a really good fighting chance to um, actually be a high quality, stable provider of these services. And that's what's playing out. So now what we're seeing is phase three. Phase three is kind of the area that really excites me a lot because I yeah. think that's where big demand is. And that's our business employee testing program. So what we're seeing with that, again, as pilots, we're, we're, we're doing smaller blocks of hours. So we might say, hey, we're dedicating, you know, these hours, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on this particular date and, and open up a block of um, appointments. And the moment that we open up a block of appointments, they fill up. Like it's just, it, it just fills up immediately. And uh, the next thing that's happening, which is quite interesting. So we, of course, built landing pages. We've built online uh, marketing brochures, physical brochures. And, um, and that's our registration process. So what's happening to us now is that businesses are finding us in Google search um, or however they find us. But what we're finding is that Refer referral, right? I mean, people who come do the in-clinic testing are probably going back to their bosses at some point saying, hey, Mary, by the way, if we need to test everybody, you should call these guys. I'm sure that's yeah, a part of it too, right? It's kind, it's kind of all of those natural marketing. But what we've, we're finding, in, in if we, we just do a simple Google search, um, we're popping up to the top of the page naturally. Um, and so we're now seeing this phenomenon of businesses are coming in through our landing page, registering, swiping their credit card. Um, we're collecting the funds and we've never talked to them. They're simply coming through and booking the appointments. And so power. now power. what we're doing, yeah, it, it's really powerful. So we're, you know, again, we're doing it in phases where we, we might do, you know, a, a couple of sessions per week. Um, we've obviously having to increase um, staff to support, you know, the administration requirements and the, the technical requirements of delivering this type of service. But, you know, we're at a point right now where 
um, we're now going to open up four or five days a week now of just continuing to deliver um, on the demand that's there. And uh, with the business employee testing, generally speaking, the businesses like us to come to them. So we dispatch. Of course, um, right? It makes it easier for 22, for you to go to 22 people rather than trying to coordinate 22 people. Coming yes. to you. Plus you don't want the downtime. They've all these businesses have already had enough downtime. Last thing they need are their employees rolling out just to get more testing done. It makes a lot yeah, of sense. And that's, that's exactly it. It's, it's a, it's a better way to uh, run the operation, run the service for us. It's more efficient and actually for the business, it's more efficient. So we go to them, we send, you know, we send obviously a technician and we send administrative support to, to do all the processing. And if depending on the numbers, we, we send two texts, three texts, four texts, you know, to accommodate the, the, the size of that particular test day. And we just bang through it and provide these results back to the individual employees for that company. And obviously we document everything. Everything is tracked, documented, you have to. photographed. And, uh, but we've, we've worked that out. You know, we've worked out this process. So now it's just open up the floodgates a little bit more because we've got more capacity. We know how operationally to deliver it. Uh, so for us, let's go ahead. We feel confident that we can add more volume. And, you know, we see, look, I, I look at our, you know, our, our daily bank recs and, you know, I can see our, you know, average daily bank balance is increasing uh, because we don't have any medical billing in these services. These are, you know, um, paid, you know, upon. This, this know, is cash up front, right? They're paying, front. they're paying before you show up. George wants to test his employees at a Gorecom you know, 10 or 12 people times, whatever the number is, I got to pay or you're not showing up. Yeah, exactly. And that's just kind of the, the situation that we're in. Um, we, we, you know, we have a, a high quality service that's in demand. Uh, and that's just sort of the standard kind of procedure protocol that's out there. Steve, safe to say too, shareholders, I can almost feel them thinking this through the webcast. You've got price, you've got real great price inelasticity there. In other words, you don't have to budge on price. And in fact, to be very clear, I'm not, you're not going to do any kind of gouging, but you can definitely have a premium for the service because I got to assume demand is uh, more than you can handle, which brings into my concern question, which is, can you handle it? What do you do if you have 50, you know, 20 companies a day who want the, with this testing? Can you scale up fast enough to get that all done? Uh, you know, that that is an operational challenge. And so we, we do have... Uh, demand. There's, there's no doubt. And uh, the, the price aspect, um, you know, we, we certainly look at the market um, in our, in our own market. Um, you know, this is a very regional um, uh, price point, you know, right. what, what happens in the Northeast versus Southeast of the U S of course, all supply and demand, different regions. Exactly. So we're in a situation where there is a real heightened sensitivity because of the new spiking cases Mm -hmm. uh, in Arizona, it's another one of the um, hot spots, unfortunately, in the United States at the moment. So to your question on can we handle it, it's really just us um, hiring, training, and implementing. As I said earlier, you know, we've got, you know, eight new hires training, you know, right now at the same time onboarding uh, to be available to meet this demand that we see in front of us. And our team operationally, you know, they're really strong at uh, clearly forcing clearly. people 
onboarding people, training people, and putting them into our kind of system and our engine. And, uh, you know, that's one of our, I think one of our very greatest assets is just how good we are at the operational layer. Businesses fall apart when they don't have top, you know, top, top notch business processes at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. Um, how many fall apart because they actually have good business coming in. They just can't get, can't get up with upboarding, can't, uh, can't satisfy the demand. None of that billing is off and then it just becomes a mess, right? But you're Six Sigma certified. I, you know, everyone knows I, everyone knows I say that in every interview because you're the only one we've ever had. And I'm pretty sure the only one ever on the small cap space. Before I move on to my next question about phase four nationwide, uh, quick question for you on phase three. Anecdotally, do you have a sense of the size, the size of the companies that are coming to you? So are they mop, are they mom and pop shops? Are they massive conglomerates? Are they medium sized business ballpark? Do you have a sense for the number of employees per company that you're going out to test? Yeah, or will you be know, it's really, uh, it, it's, we're seeing all sizes, actually. We're talking to, uh, you know, small companies come along with, uh, they, they might be a, a restaurant and they, you know, they just know that um, they need to do testing on their staff in order to um, be confident as an operator. They might have, 10 employees, 20 employees, um, you know, or less. Uh, we're in discussions with um, large public mining companies who have large operations in certain parts of the world. So when, when I talk about the potential of this phase four in the national program, um, it, it actually crosses all borders internationally. So, you know, we might, um, you know, have a discussion with uh, the, the head, the public company or the public mining company who might be headquartered in Vancouver or Toronto or whatever, wherever the case may be, but they have mines in Africa um, or they have operations in Arizona. And they know that if you take a mining company's example, you know, it's impossible to uh, implement social distancing protocols uh, in a mine. Uh, so what it requires you to do is to test and know with certainty that your workers are safe. So we're, we're really seeing all extremes, small business to wow. large corporate and trying to resolve um, how to support them. And phase four for us, you know, can also be just putting the supply chain capabilities to these large companies who uh, simply, you know, don't have access to it. Um, so, you know, we've got strong supply chain relationships um, and we can simply say, okay, if, do you need a thousand test kits? And, and then we, we work in a transaction like that um, versus um, delivering, you know, uh, employee testing on the ground at a small business in, in Phoenix. So we have, you know, quite a gamut in front of us um, with the opportunity and we're not seeing any slowdown in um, all for all types of businesses wanting to um, explore uh, what's appropriate for them as a business. And every, it's kind of almost every, every case is um, a, a bit of a unique scenario right now. You got everybody, you got everybody yeah. across the board. And I, I want to move on to financials, but last question is this, are, are these the rapid tests uh, that you're going to be deploying if you want to go international and national, or are these more the uh, clinician drawing blood 48 hour result kind of testing? Yeah, the, the phase one uh, blood draw version um, really isn't 
efficient enough for think so, yeah. the business employee testing programs. You know, the, the beauty about the antibody tests um, is uh, speed. That's why they, they refer to them as rapid antibody tests. Uh, you're getting these results in, you know, one to five minutes. I mean, you know, I've, I've completed, you know, three different tests on myself over the last, you know, little while. And in each case, it's about two minutes to get the result back. And so uh, it's really a focus on uh, antibody tests. Um, and then we are in the midst of working through um, the, the PCR testing uh, situations as well. Um, and PCR are the ones that um, are the swabs, whether it goes nasal or throat swabs, and, and then is uh, processed by a lab. Um, there are new antigen, uh, what we call rapid PCR tests, um, that are coming to market as well, that um, we um, have a supply uh, chain um, uh, program on, and we'll have some more announcements about that um, in, in the coming, uh, in the next right. little while. But those are going to prove, I think, important and uh, very interesting just for, you know, business overall, for society overall. Uh, the demand for testing is going to be with us for quite some time. No doubt. And like you said at the outset, it's too bad that this is the environment that's in, but at the same time, uh, you're doing society a great service. So I love to hear what you just said there. It sounds like you're hitting on all cylinders. So this dovetails right into financials. Uh, like most companies, most companies on the small cap exchange, both CSE and venture, uh, you took the... Uh, uh, you took the permission there because the the uh, the exchanges had given everyone extra time to file uh, for obvious reasons. So you did that. Yes. Um, what is the ETA for the 2019 year end financials uh, coming out ballpark? What do you what are you guys thinking? Uh, well, uh, July 15th, uh, so or or sooner, but uh, that's that's the guidance that we've provided. Um, we've worked very closely with the Securities Exchange on that. And you're right. There, there are exemptions that are in place. Right. Um, there's a, you know, there's a technical um, process that you have to follow, um, and we're meeting all the guidelines as provided as provided by the Securities Commission on this. And you know what what what's going to happen with us because of um, you know how it's all playing out is we're literally going to have a series of financial releases um, almost back to back to back. So. Um, we'll, you're, you're going to see our 2019 year end, sort of mid-July, uh, you're going to see our first quarter probably within a couple of weeks after that. Wow. And you're going to see our second quarter is due by um, August 30th. And oh, so- Within 45 days, you're going to have a, pr a pretty great picture. Yeah, yeah. We're, I mean, everything is just going to start to flow. Obviously, the year end and the audit are the, uh, is the bottleneck, you know, we're- you know, like, like most sure. companies, you know, in, in prior years, what we would do as we we're doing an audit, we'd all be in the office together. We'd be in the filing cabinets. We'd be pulling, you know, backup at invoices for the audit. And, and we, we'd have a big whiteboard going, you know, kind of a checklist. We're working remotely. Um, you know, I, I don't even see my own assistant face-to-face. Uh, -face. And so we're working between our operations in Arizona um, Oregon um, headquarters here in Vancouver on a complete remote basis and trying to resolve, you know, an audit. Well, and, and that's what, you know, causes the delay. The more important item there is all three of these coming out. I think everyone at home, except for new people, will know that 
2019 is, is going to be a good year, but the fireworks for Empower really started end of Q1. I mean, you're setting records already, January, February, March, and then COVID hit the testing rollout. So will the year-end financials really reflect where the company's at, or should investors really be holding on for Q1 and Q2? Because look at everything we're talking about. Everything we're talking about is happening in Q1 and Q2. Yeah, so I, I think it's a fair assessment. So we, you know, when we're, when you do an audit, it's for a particular period in time. So we're auditing um, all of 2019 and the results as at December 31st, 2019. Right. You know, we're, we're approaching, you know, six months afterwards right now. And yes, a lot has happened. So um, what I would encourage um, anybody who is going to start looking at this flow of financials coming out is go to the notes um, for subsequent events. And uh, it's a requirement for us to talk about, hey, what material things took place at, after the year end? So That's what's going to be a long list. That's it's going to be a very long, long list. This year is an anomaly. It, it will be a, there'll be a longer list of subsequent event notes um, than ever before because we've got, you know, five months of subsequent events that are required by rule to be, if they're material, to be talked about. So that will actually start to paint the picture of what the first quarter results will look like and what the balance sheet will look like then because the balance sheet is changing fairly substantially in each of these periods post 2019 year end. So I, I encourage shareholders to really focus on that aspect. Then look for the first quarter that comes out shortly after. Look for the second quarter by August 30th. And by the time we get to, you know, you know basically before Labor Day this year, um, it's going to be a very up-to-date, very accurate view. Of and a very, different, and a very different company, right? Very I, much. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, the linear logic tells me that by, by Labor Day, the company looks significantly different from what it looks like right now from a financial point of view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's really, you have to understand with, with a business like ours, when I talk about um, record patient visits, that is a direct correlation to top line revenue and free cash flow at the clinic level. Because, again, we don't have um, a medical billing situation that we have to deal with. So we don't have these building accounts receivables. It's provide cash. the service, get the cash, provide the service, get the cash. Exciting. So record counts of patients means, you know, top line, uh, a, corresponding, um, uh, a corresponding cash flow coming out of that. A lot of companies out there tried to use COVID. We've already covered that, but the testing, of, the testing side of the company. A lot of companies out there try to use COVID-19 testing as a, uh, you know, just a promotional item. You're obviously, we're not going to revisit that, doing great there, phase one, phase two, now phase three. The other one that people are trying to jump all over, you know, George's Cannabis Company announces that we're getting into psychedelics, right? And uh, everyone's just trying, it's a buzzword, trying to get a promote. Uh, you're going way deeper, you're going way deeper on the psychedelic side. So before we go into what you're doing specifically, because there are a couple of great things, uh, it's still new to a lot of people. How critical will uh, psychedelics, especially, especially like psilocybin be? And from an investor point of view, how big 
is this going to be going forward? So it has the potential to be, you know, extremely large scale on a global basis. I think the, the baseline here for anybody beginning to research or try to understand the, the potential is you have to think about society and uh, mental health um, or the exacerbated problems of mental illness um, in our coronavirus environment right now, just think of how much mental health and, and uh, uh, mental yeah. health issues are, are, in, are on the rise. Tremendous, and, tremendous right? actually. Tremendous, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's in a unique time in history for all of us who are, are here and present today. So when you look at what we do today in our clinics, the common qualifying conditions that patients come to see us for are anxiety, depression, PTSD, chronic pain, and you know, variations or combinations of that. So a great deal of what we um, see in patients today and our physicians' consultations with patients are about are, are really mental health issues. Right. And so when we look at our asset base and all the capabilities that we have, I believe that we are as ideally suited as anybody out there to be entering into this space. And our strength in this space is going to be on the patient side, the potential delivery of right. the um, plant, other alternate plant, alternative plant-based treatment options you're ultimately, you know, this is not going to be a recreational type um, product or service. You know, these are going to be medical uh, based therapies that are uh, where patients are being taken through um, this new treatment option, whether it's ketamine, which is actually approved for, um, for use right now. Psilocybin is under research, but it's going to certainly take time for the research to come through and it will take time for the regulatory framework to come through. Uh, MDMA is starting to prove perhaps potentially even on a more accelerated um, cycle than potentially even psilocybin, but time will tell um, with what, you know, what happens there. So we are going to position ourselves to be available to or at the forefront of the delivery of treatment options. That's our strength for sure. Yeah, just to cut for a second, because I know you got more to say, whereas George's CBD company makes a claim in a press release about entering the psychedelics, but they have no way of really delivering anything. Like they, 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 so, they don't address that. Whereas in power, you've got the patients coming in in record numbers every month. How big of a jumpstart does that get you on every, does that give you on most other small cap companies who are just using it as a, we're getting into psychedelics, we'll figure it out later. Yeah, we, we agree with that thesis. I mean, we have 165,000 patients in our database and millions of data points uh, behind it. So we, you know, not only are we in a position to ultimately be a leader in delivering, you know, the, the patient treatment options um, in our existing clinics and any new clinics that will begin to open or, or purchase in the future, um, we also have the ability to align ourselves with research. So, you know, we're not going to take the position of, um, hey, you know, Empower Clinics is, are going to run clinical trials. You know, that's not, not realistic. It's not what we should be 
um, attempting to position ourselves in. But to the extent that we can help clinical trials align with clinical trials because we have direct access to patients. You can't run a clinical trial unless you have access to patients. Yeah. Uh, you can't run a successful clinical trial unless you have data associated. And that can be um, prospective data uh, in terms of uh, lining up uh, data research um, collection projects, or it could be analyzing um, historical data um, about patients and patient categories um, all in a you know, HIPAA compliant manner. Uh, but access to our data, I think, is going to prove to be a really important asset class of ours going forward. Never even thought and, about that, actually. Never thought yeah, about that. Yeah, we've been really, really working on that. And, and we always knew, we always So felt, you'll be generating revenue even during this whole period where pharmaceutical where companies and have to actually do the research. You'll actually be generating revenue. You don't have to sit and wait. No, I mean, we, we absolutely can either, you know, acquire new clinics, open new clinics, and layer on the existing services and products that we already have and run a cash flow positive model on the, any, any new clinic. Um, if you're a group that is going to attempt to open um, a clinic with no patients, no existing services, um, you've got a very long and expensive road ahead of you and no guarantee that you'll get to profitability. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're a completely different situation. You know, we're, we're already really good at this. We already know how to uh, make money at it. We all already know how to do it profitably. Uh, so again, I go back to, I think we are ideally suited as an early mover um, to be successful, you know, in this sector. Devil's advocate though, Steve, one problem that you, you and by the way, no new business uh, stream ever doesn't have some kind of a challenge or hurdle associated with it. The one I think that you're going to run into, and correct me if I'm wrong, is going to be public perception because people, when they hear psychedelics, the first thing they think about is 60s, 70s, power, power, you know, power children, whatever they called back then, and people getting high on psychedelics. And so, how do you get over that? What are the kind of what are the kind of things you're going to do to uh, to educate the world that hey, even though flower children may have run wild within the 60s and 70s, is what which is what put psychedelics on the back burner because of it the fact of the matter is before that happened the research was almost uh, insurmountable that uh, psychedelics were good for you how do you change the public perception of psychedelics so yeah you're, you're dealing with stigma right you're, you're right. dealing with um, the fact that um, these particular um, products um, because of prohibition that came into place um, back in the 70s and really stifled any research, you know, research on the ability of these various plant-based treatment options um, was happening pre-prohibition. Right. Um, and uh, because of the problems. legislative um, work, or because of the legislative path that took place, um, really research got um, stifled and, and shut down for decades. What investors and shareholders should understand is that the underlying potential benefits of these uh, treatment options in a controlled therapeutic environment for these qualifying conditions specifically around mental health and mental wellness um, is proving to be very successful. So 
this is why this sort of nascent stigmatized uh, industry is coming to the forefront. It's not dissimilar to the path that, you know, cannabis um, mm -hmm. took. And what we're seeing, um, all indications are that this regulatory framework appears to be moving at even a faster rate than what the cannabis regulatory framework was moving through. And we're seeing a tremendous amount of investment from some of the uh, most powerful, influential investors you know, around the globe, whether um, private, in the public sectors, and, and in combination. So our opinion is, you know, this, this, is not, this research is not going away. These um, new uh, treatment options are going to show up. Um, there are going to be new alternatives in the future to help successfully deal with the trillion dollar global mental health crisis that our world is in right now. Um, we, we, you know, and we must, we must play. It is that big a market. It is a monster market. It, it is. This is, this is agnostic to location. It's agnostic to race. It is it, it's agnostic to age. Um, there, there are so many um, people that are afflicted. And again, the uh, coronavirus pandemic that we find ourselves in around the globe is exacerbating uh, the problem and it's bring, but yeah. it's also bringing more awareness and awareness is kind of the first step to bringing down these stigmas and we just need to play our part in that and, and I think that we have a significant role to play in the years ahead and I think it will ultimately bring um, really uh, substantial shareholder value uh, back um, by, by being a part and, and an advocate in this, um, in this sector. A little bit of fun conversation. Tell us about the documentary, your involvement and Power's involvement, Dosed, the documentary. Yeah, so uh, what's the level of involvement there? Why did you choose to get involved with that? Because obviously it's not for fun for all per se, but, and what kind of exposure do you expect that to bring? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting um, project. So Dosed movie and, you know, viewers can access um, a copy of it at dosedmovie.com. There's a digital version of it because um, uh, there's no theatrical releases uh, allowed anymore. Um, it, it's, a, it's a powerful and compelling uh, documentary. It was shot here in Vancouver, and uh, it, it documents the journey um, of a young woman who uh, suffered greatly with addiction issues and the associated you know, mental health issues that go with it. And really... Um, it ex exposes and explores her life journey and how her life changed um, ultimately through the use of psychedelics uh, like uh, psilocybin and um, uh, ibocaine uh, to ultimately help cure her and, and fix this pervasive problem that um, she was not able to ultimately tackle you know, on her own. Our association with it is really um, it's to, it's investing to take a, a you know and and get a royalty position in it, but it's you know think of it more of a of a marketing and awareness association and program because we want to see we want to see this movie shared around the world. People need to to uh, watch this movie and 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 share it amongst their family and friends to really um, understand the 
sheer severity of mental health issues uh, in our society. Um, we will also uh, have the, you know, the privilege and the honor of uh, Tyler Chandler and Nick Myers, the, the producers and directors of the, of the program, as part of this relationship, are going to come on board with us uh, to help continue to launch our psychedelics division. Man, um, those are two major influencers right there. That's, I, didn't, I didn't know that was happening. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an important component of this relationship with these two gentlemen. Um, these guys have immersed themselves in the uh, psychedelic space over the last three going on four years now. And obviously they're incredibly creative, um, articulate, you know, smart guys, um, but they're, they're deeply connected into all facets, whether it's research, um, the, the physician side of it, the, the therapy side of it, the clinician side, the product side. So they're going to be a really great um, addition to our team uh, to help me not only further understand our role in this space, but actually help us execute. And they're based here in Vancouver, and it's why I recently announced um, that you know we're going to put a foothold uh, in terms of a you know clinic operation here in Vancouver um, uh, for all the right reasons. You know we we should be doing that. We'll continue to look for other clinics um, around North America uh, to acquire to um, uh, develop our franchise program on, uh, but we need to you know plant some roots here in Vancouver from a clinic standpoint. Um, and it's, you know, it's our corporate headquarters, so it'll, it'll serve um, that purpose also. Well, you just two kill, you just killed two birds with one stone on that one. So, <laughs> cause I was going to ask about Vancouver, but um, yeah, that's, that's great. Your, your involvement with, Don with Dost and having, you know, having them join you, both Nicholas and Tyler, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty significant. And uh, again, positions in power as a thought leader. So Steve, we have so much more to, I mean, we've covered all the big bases right? And you almost wouldn't know it from looking at the share price. And sometimes guys, stock prices just have a life of their own, other things going on in the market. But clearly, Steve, unless I'm missing something, the business is hitting on all cylinders from an operational point of view, from a growth point of view, and even a pipeline, you know, with things like psychedelics and phase three taking place on the testing side. Uh, are there any weaknesses in the company right now? Uh, you know, the, from, from a, I mean, I, I wear multiple hats and, you know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I'm an operator and we have a, you know, a deep responsibility to um, my team and, and to our shareholders to continue to deliver operations. But there, you know, there's a capital market side to what we do as well. And, you know, we've got a commitment to our shareholders to keep on communicating, keep on sharing the story, you know, under the guidelines uh, that we all work under in, in, in public companies. Uh, but, you know, I would just say stay tuned. There's, there's a, a tremendous amount of updates that are coming as we continue to execute on these initiatives. And um, we will uh, continue sharing um, our advancements uh, going forward. I think, you know, on, on the market side, uh, you're right. There's just some things that are out of our control. Um, I think that we are um, very undervalued, most definitely. Um, and, and I, you know, encourage um, shareholders to, you know, continue to be patient with the markets. Um, we, you know, we, we have a very clear path. Um, we've proven that we can execute. Um, we can we can execute on change and continue to, um, you know, evolve our identity. 
and, and bring you know, revenues and free cash flow to the table. We're doing that part and we're gonna to continue to do that part. Uh, so I think you know, we, we believe in what we're doing and, and we're committed. Uh, we're committed to ourselves as a team and, and we're committed to our shareholders to continue to deliver results. And that last part is the differentiator. There are a lot of CEOs who you know, believe and they're on the right track as you do, but the difference with you over so many, especially in the cannabis, CBD space, which is a disaster. Even the biggest companies, you know, Canopy and all these guys who are giving a gazillion dollars have burned through it with no real tangible business to point to uh, and ever becoming profitable and things like that. And I think Empower is positioning itself as the next wave of companies, just kind of like, like, like what we saw at the dot-com or the dot-com days for those of you who are old enough to remember that, you know, phase one dot-coms, Tons of money. They all blew up because they didn't have real business at the end of the day. They just threw stuff on the wall and hope it stuck. Phase two saw the birth of the LinkedIn's and the Googles and the real practical, real utility guys who were companies who were who were creating real customers and revenues. I there's not a doubt in my mind that that's what Empower is doing. I mean, I, I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm not being an investment advisor, but I'm a shareholder. And I'm not worried about anything. In fact, I'm giddy about what I'm going to see over the next three months with over these over the next couple of months with the financials, let alone what we're going to see over the next six to 12 months on the operation side, Steve. So con congratulations to your entire team on what you guys have accomplished. Great. Thank you, George. We, we really do appreciate that and appreciate this forum to get a chance to, you know, share a little bit more intimately about what's going on um, in our day to day and kind of reassure everybody that you know, we're, we're here, we're working all the long hours um, each day and each week um, on behalf of our shareholders and our team. And uh, I'm just so darn proud of uh, my team each day. Um, if you just see the sheer amount of uh, work that they get through and also their commitment to, to the company and their commitment to our patients and, and always being there for our patients. Uh, that's a, a model that the team live by. You've been watching, or if you listen by podcast, you've been listening to Steve McCauley. He's CEO of Empower Clinics. The company trades on the CSE under the stock symbol CBDT for our friends in the US uh, under EPWCF and for our friends in Europe under uh, 8EC. You've heard and watched what Steve had to say. Your job is to continue or begin your due diligence for new people. Get to the Agoracom hub for Empower. Watch and or listen to the interviews we've done with Steve so far. Everything he said he's going to do, his company has delivered. Everything. Uh, so uh, go do your due diligence. Go take a look at the company's website and look pretty soon for a verified form where you're actually going to be able to talk to Steve and maybe other members of the team inside the modern forum on Agoracom. So we know you, we've heard from you. We know you love these interviews and we're going to keep doing them. Uh, every couple of weeks if we have to as things as, as things keep getting better but you're going to have access to the team on a daily basis as well so make sure you take advantage of that thanks for watching everybody hope you discover your next great small cap company have an amazing day see you soon